Hey guys, I'm uh, glad you could join us. I'm the host of Extreme Makeover uh, Prayer Edition, and we're really excited to take you on this journey that we've taken Marge over the you know next few weeks to really make over her home. Now it's a lot of you know subtle changes that make a big difference in her life. So we're excited, she's excited, and I can't wait to show you guys. All right, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Margie. I got to go on this big vacation. They told me that while I was away, they were going to do this giant transformation to my house. And I just, I can't wait to see all the things that they've done. I know it's going to be so great and I'm ready for the tour. You excited? You I, ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's do this. Series here in the well, which is called Extreme Makeover Prayer Edition. And what we're going to be doing here in this series is we are going to hopefully be building a new house for each of us to live in, but not a house made with bricks and stones and walls, but a house of prayer. And we are going to talk about how that house of prayer should look like and hopefully by the end of our uh, seven-week series here, that all of us will have a new home of prayer to be living in day in and day out. Now, i got to be honest with you guys up front before we jump into this series, is I have actually been wanting to talk about the subject of prayer for a very long time. And for a long time, I have felt God really wanted us to talk about this subject because I see that many of us struggle with prayer. But I'll be honest, I'm confessing in front of you, the reason why I didn't do the series from before, because I felt I wasn't adequate. And I said, how can I, who struggles so much with prayer, stand up here and tell these people about prayer? So my thought was, when I get good at it, and when I become an expert at it, then I'll talk about it. And then God told me, no. He said, this is not a series or a topic to speak about. So I want to erase that from your minds off the start. If you think you're going to come here, and I'm going to teach you about prayer, I'm not going to teach you about prayer. This is not a series to learn. This is a journey that we are going to go on together. And all I am, I'm the guy in the front of the tour. I'm the tour guide. All right? We are going on a journey together, and our goal is to get to this place. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is where we're going to start the series, and this is where we're hopefully going to end the series as well. But on the other side of this, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Prayer is responding to this knock. Today, as we stand here together on, the, on, on the, the front of this series, there's a knock on the door. And that knock on the door is Jesus himself saying, I want to come in there. And when Jesus comes in, when Jesus comes in, he does an extreme makeover. And he makes everything new. And he wants to come in and say, okay, this is your house that you've built so far. And it's nice. Okay, and you throw a little prayer here. You throw a little uh, cross on the wall over there. But I want to come in there, and I want to build a house of prayer. When Jesus walks into a house, it becomes heaven. Because heaven is where Jesus reigns. So when we open this door to him, we're going to open the door to heaven itself. And we are opening the door to Christ coming in and taking our, forgive me, like I'm, I'm, I'm judging all of us right here, okay? So don't no one feel single. This is all of us. Our piddly little prayer, 
our like two-second prayer before we sleep, our like half-eyes-open prayer in the morning, taking those things and getting rid of those things and building a real house of prayer, a real place where he can dwell. Because prayer, as we'll see, prayer is not an act. Prayer is not something you do. Prayer is not something you attend. Prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is intimacy with God. The words of prayer or the routine or the ritual of prayer, depending on how the prayer is, is a means to get to an intimacy with God. Get rid of this idea that prayer is something we do. Prayer is a level in a relationship. That we want to reach the level in our relationship with God where we have prayer, real prayer, and we have real depth in prayer. That's not something we do. That's a level that we attain, a level of prayer. Because when God created man, when God created Adam and Eve, he created man to pray. If you want to go down to like the root of why we were created, when you understand that prayer is not an act, prayer is an intimacy with God, prayer is a relationship, we were made for prayer. We were created to have intimacy with God, to talk freely with God, and God to talk freely with us. That's how God created it in the garden, and that's how it's going to look like when we get to the kingdom, is a, a level of depth in the relationship which can be defined by the word prayer. And the time between the garden and the kingdom is the time that we live in right now, and the way that we take that kingdom and put it here on this earth as Jesus taught us to is by prayer. That's where we have intimacy with God. The subject of intimacy with God is one that uh, for several who um, we had a, I went up to New York a month ago or two months ago, whatever it was, for a conference, and then several people here came. And we had an entire one-day conference speaking about the subject of intimacy with God. And what we talked about there is that intimacy with God is different than knowledge about God. And sometimes we confuse the two. Knowing about God is not the same as having intimacy with God. All of us in this room here today know about God at some level. Some of us know a lot about God. But don't confuse knowledge about with intimacy with. Look at it in a relationship with a human being, me and my wife. Just knowing information about her doesn't mean that we have intimacy. Aren't there a lot of marriages where you could recite all the facts about each other? They don't have any real intimacy. I can stand up here and tell you my wife's favorite color. And I tell you, uh, you know, her favorite book to read, her favorite food. I tell you that, uh, you know, the true color of her hair, the natural color of her hair. But that doesn't mean, no, I'm just joking, just joking, <laughs> just joking. I'm colorblind, so even if it was, I wouldn't even notice anyway. Just knowing that information about my wife doesn't mean that we're close. A lot of couples know a lot about each other, but that doesn't mean that we have true intimacy with one another. You need knowledge to get to intimacy, but knowledge in and of itself does not equal intimacy. Prayer is intimacy. And ask yourself, which of the two defines your prayer life, your spiritual life, your level of intimacy with God? Is it more knowledge about or intimacy with? If you find yourself lacking in the intimacy with department, the answer is prayer. And that's what we're going to see here in this series. So again, this is not a series where we're going to talk about prayer. It's not a series where we're going to have prayer meetings. It's not a series where I'm going to teach you how to pray. This is a series. I want you to look at this as less of a teaching and more of a support group. This is a support group. This is a group of people getting together and saying, I struggle with prayer, and I struggle with prayer. And then we're going to talk about it, and we're going to support each other through it. Because the difference, think about the difference between reading a book about weight loss 
versus joining a support group to exercise together and diet together. There's a big difference, isn't there? All of us, like let's be honest, and there isn't a person here in this room that doesn't know the details of how to lose weight, that doesn't know the facts of how we're supposed to do it. But we all struggle to do it. But then when we have a support group around us who can encourage us, who can support us, who can um, teach us uh, from their experience, that's the difference between a talk about prayer and a journey together to pray. Because like in any support group, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you go to the weight loss support groups, you go to any of these groups where people struggle with different things, and the common theme amongst all of them is you have a group of people who are saying, I do this, and I don't know why I can't stop. And I would say, if I took a survey here of every single person here who would say that I want to pray, everyone will raise their hands. And if I asked you, why is it that you don't pray, all of us raise our hands and say, I don't know why when I want something so badly, and I know I need to, and I know it's important, I don't know why I don't pray. I started to think, if I'm going to go on this journey, I'm going to be open okay, with you guys, because like I said, I'm not teaching, I'm just leading the journey. started to think about what are the excuses that I personally make that I don't pray. And I wrote them down. When you write down the excuses on paper, they look a lot dumber on paper than we just say them in your mind. So the first one that I wrote said, one of my biggest excuses is my feet hurt. My feet hurt. And I started to think about it and say, all the other 24 hours of the day, my feet have no problem. But somehow, when I'm standing in prayer, I am convinced. Every time I stand in prayer, I'm like, you know, I really got to call the doctor about that foot thing. And I convinced myself thoroughly that I got a serious issue in my foot. And the second the prayer is over, the foot thing goes away. Next excuse that I come with if I get past the foot thing is, I'm hungry. And this is what I use every morning. And this is what I say, is that I'm hungry, and I can't think when I'm hungry, so if I go eat, I'll be able to focus more on prayer. Is that true, ladies and gentlemen? The exact opposite is true, but I fall forward every single day. Next one, being open and honest, bathroom. I'm telling you. In 10 minutes of prayer, I go to the bathroom three times. I'm not joking. And everyone is code red, if you know what I'm saying. Rest of the day I go for days not going, but that time, got to go to the bathroom. And then the last one, this is the best one, and the one that I'm sure I'm not alone in this one. This especially applies to the nighttime prayer. Is that I'm tired, and remember, my feet hurt when I pray. So therefore, in order to not rush the prayer and to spend good long time with God, let me just, instead of stand, I will lie down and pray. And because I don't want to be rushed, let me focus with my eyes closed. <laughs> Am I the only one? If I wrote down those excuses and say, these are four excuses why someone doesn't pray, you'd say a third grader wrote that list. So that was written by a little kid. And I'm telling you that I'm a priest, and I'm the one who's saying that list. None of us are any better than anyone else here in this room when it comes to prayer. We all have the dumbest reasons why we don't pray. That's why we need the support group mentality. And that's why we need one of the things you all saw today in your handout. You had a little insert about life groups. All right, one of the things that we're doing, encouraging every single person here during these seven weeks of this campaign, six weeks after today, okay, is to sign up for a life group. It's a six-week commitment that you join, and it's a support group mentality. And every week I'm going to talk about a, a, a characteristic of prayer, a form of prayer, and then you're going to go to your life group and you're going to have people to help you to practice it. Because I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, the, when sometimes I tell a group of people, let's get together and pray, it's because I need it 
And because I know they will help me to pray. And to stand by myself and pray is very difficult. It's a big first step. But when we get together and the group is praying, it becomes a lot easier to insert myself in prayer when I'm in a group that's praying. And we're encouraging one another. And we're helping one another. And we're learning from each other's experiences. This is why I strongly recommend that everybody fill out that lifeguard, life group form today and hand it in on, on your way back at the way out. Because trust me, if you struggle with prayer, it is much easier to start a new habit if you have someone to help hold your hand while you're doing it. Back to our series on Extreme Makeover. Here's how I want you to, I want to give you a visual of what this series is all about. This series, you all know the story of the prodigal son. Famous story in the Bible. Father had two sons. One son, younger son, wanted to leave the father's house, said, give me my money. He left. And the Bible says he wasted his life with prodigal living. Wasted all his money, hanging out with hooligans and, and wasted it all. And what kind of nightlife, whatever he was doing. And then eventually he came to himself and said, why am I out here when every, even the servants in my father's house have it better than I have it right here? And he comes back to the father, and the father welcomes him with open arms. That picture of the father in the story of the prodigal son is the invitation that God is making to each one of us to pray. Like the father in the story, God's heart is broken when he sees his children far away from him. And God, every day, just like the father in this story, I don't think there was a day that went by that this father didn't look out his window and waited every single day. Then when's that boy going to come home? God is the same way. You wake up, the alarm clock goes off in the morning, the first person to greet you is God. And God say, I've been waiting for you to wake up. I've been waiting to have this time with you. I'm waiting to share with you. I got wisdom to give you. I got grace to impart to you. I know you need some forgiveness for yesterday. So I'm willing to give out. I got all this good stuff to give you. And we wake up, and what do we do? We walk away. And God says, okay. I'm sure he's going to come back. I'm sure he's going to come back. I'm sure he's not going to go till lunchtime without reaching out to me. Like, there's no way. Like, I'm his dad. I got all this good stuff for him. And lunch comes and lunch goes. We pass breakfast, pass lunch, get to the afternoon. Okay, he had a rough day at work, or she had a rough day at work. But there's no way she's going to walk back home, and I'm going to be sitting here, and she's going to walk right by me and not say goodnight at least. And there we go. And the heart of the father breaks. Every time we don't pray. Every time we go about our day, just like this prodigal son, with the cares of this world. Busy, preoccupied with the cares of the vanity of this world. Wasting our lives as the boy with prodigal living. We don't consider ourselves the prodigal son, but when we are far from the father's house, and he is there yearning to feed us and give to us. We are in a faraway land. We are exactly like the prodigal son. And this series is the father standing at the door saying, Why do you sit and eat with the pigs when I am want to give you this stuff freely? We like the prodigal son when we don't pray. We, we, we claw and scrap and fight for things that the father wants to give us freely. We all, like I said before, every one of us is insecure. Every one of us is insecure about something. And we struggle with our insecurity. We struggle to try to meet that security in some way, shape, or form. Something, even though it's temporary and it isn't going to last. And the Father's saying, I have eternal security for you. I have eternal security. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to make, I'm never going to leave you. I have eternal security that when you come to me in prayer, I'll make you feel so secure. You wouldn't care about anything that your boss said. We resist. You need wisdom? I got wisdom. You need peace? I got peace. You need nourishment? I got nourishment. You need rest? 
Who doesn't need rest? I have it for you. And you, like the prodigal son, are fighting with pigs and fighting and, and all these trying to get scraps. And the father's got a rich table just to give it to us. That's prayer. And that's what this series is hopefully going to bring us home. Because when we pray, even though I know it doesn't feel like it, what I'm talking about today, your feelings don't match. Forget about your feelings. We need truth. We don't need feelings. Your feelings don't match us. But trust me, the truth is, is that we are at home when we pray. And when we are not in prayer, we are in a foreign land. This earth is not our home. Our home is in the bosom of the Father. This is where we belong. And when we pray, we can't live there 24 hours a day. Not on this earth because it's a fallen earth. And this is where fallen people. So we're down here. But this is where we were meant to be. In the Father's bosom. Intimacy with Him. And when we pray, that's where we live. That's where we go to. And too many of us, like I said, are spending all day in a foreign land. And it's time for us, this series, as the Father's saying, it's time to come home. And home is in prayer. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. This is what the Old Testament says about the house of prayer. It says, even then I will bring to my holy mountain, even them being us, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's our home is in prayer. And we need to do an extreme makeover in order to get to that house of prayer. Now here's the thing. When you build a house, when you build a house... Every house has different rooms, and each room serves a different purpose. So you have a house with multiple rooms that don't all look the same and aren't all built to the same specifications. Each one has its own building based on the specifications, the requirements. So I need a room where I can, like a family room, I need a room where I can rest. So I'm going to put a fluffy carpet. I'm going to put a big TV because that's the place I'm going to rest. I need a place, kitchen, I need a place where I can eat. So I'm build it with uh, the fridge hole in the wall, and I'm build it with cabinets because that's the place I need a place where I can get nourishment and strength. I need a place that I can study and have quiet. So I'm build the office in a certain way. And then at the very top of the house, I need a place called a bedroom, and the bedroom is always the top of the house, and the bedroom is always the pinnacle because the bedroom is the place of greatest intimacy in a house. The bedroom is the place where there is nakedness and not ashamed. And in the same way that a house is built with different specifications based on each room, and the highest being the bedroom, when we build our house of prayer, we're going to go through the next seven weeks, seven different rooms of prayer. Seven different rooms of prayer that we need to build in our house of prayer, and each one is different. Because prayer doesn't always look the same. And prayer isn't always going to be exactly the same way. We need diversities in our prayer rooms, in our rooms, in order to build a complete house. What do I mean by that? What I'm saying is, is that we'll talk about simple prayer, talk about structured prayer. We'll talk about repentant prayer, talk about thanksgiving prayer. We'll talk about praying through scripture. We'll talk about intercessory prayer. And then we will talk in the final week, the highest, the pinnacle, we will talk about liturgical prayer. Because liturgical prayer, 
where we receive the body and blood of Christ, communion, the Eucharist, is the place where our intimacy with God is at its peak. Because that's the place where our intimacy with God is not just emotional, it is not just spiritual, it is physical as well. As we receive the true body and the true blood of our Lord Jesus Christ inside of us. In the same way that a house is built with different rooms, to get to the top, we will build the prayer house room by room, room by room, till we get the top, which is the liturgical prayer. Now here's the thing. Go back to the house example. I want intimacy in the top room, and I build it to that way. But I cannot have intimacy in the top bedroom if the rest of the house is broken, right? I cannot expect that I'll have tremendous intimacy in that top room when there's a, a leak in the kitchen, and a kitchen didn't work, and then the HVAC in the basement, and there's a big hole in the side of the family room, and the, and the bad guys are coming in and out. I cannot have the, the peak in the top room unless I build the house and make sure it's taken care of. It's the same thing true in prayer. We want to just come and say the liturgical prayer is the highest form. And we say that's where we have that intimacy with God. But if we don't build the prayer right, you show up every Sunday for the rest of your life. You're never going to experience that level of intimacy. Why? You never find intimacy in the bedroom unless you fix the leak in the basement. And we're going to see that here in this series. Each week, like I said, we'll take a different form of prayer because the Bible is very clear that there isn't one form of prayer. There are multiple diversities of prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, a couple verses. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. St. Paul is saying he just listed four kinds of prayers. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That phrase, all prayer, means that there is more than just one right way to pray. And if you think about it, like, let, let, let's, let's go further with this. Is there a right way to pray? Is there a correct way to pray? I said earlier that prayer is intimacy. Prayer is like intimacy with God. Let's go back to me and my wife. Is there a right way Say, you should love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Say, okay, what's the way to love your wives? Does that mean I should listen to her? Or does that mean I should talk to her? Which one? Does that mean I should help with the dishes? Or I should be a good father to the kids? Which one's the right way? Wait, wait, I can't do both. So if you want me to um, do the dishes, then I can't play with the kids. If you want to play with the kids, I can't do the dishes. What did my wife say? She said, turn the TV off and do the dishes and then play with the kids. Do I listen or do I talk? You shut your mouth, you listen, and then when you've done listening, you respond back and you talk. That's the way it is. Am I supposed to um, affirm my wife or am I supposed to speak the truth to my wife? Well, that's the one that maybe, you know, <laughs> the answer should be both, okay, but uh, we'll tread carefully on that one and move along to the re re next point. But bottom line is, the right answer is, which one do you do? The right answer is, love your wife. And when it's time to listen, listen. When it's time to talk, talk. When it's dishes, dishes. When it's time to TV or kids, do kids. The right answer is, if you love her, you'll do whatever it takes to love her. And it's the same thing when it comes to prayer. And it's the same thing when it comes to God. There's no such thing as the right kind of prayer. We need diversities in prayer. The only thing I'll say about the right versus the wrong, there's only one criteria that I would say makes a, any prayer a right prayer and any prayer a wrong prayer. 
And I would say that is sincerity. The right kind of prayer is the sincere one. And as long as your prayer, as long as my action to my wife is sincere, I love her and I sincerely, and God knows that oftentimes I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm sincere in my efforts, then she'll accept it. She'll say, okay, that's okay. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he's trying his best, A for effort. And I think that God is the same way. As long as we're sincere in our efforts. What's the right way to pray? Should we give thanks to God or pray for others? Yes. What's the right way to love God? Should I rest in his arms or be out in the fields laboring for him? Yes. You should love him that you desire to rest with him. And then when he sends you out to the field, go back. And then, like, it's not, don't look at it as there's right and there's wrong. Look at it as there's sincere and insincere. And when you learn this principle that there's diversity of prayer and all that matters is sincerity, you'll discover, promise you, you'll discover that a lot of things that we don't think are prayer are prayer. A lot of things that we think are prayer are not prayer. You'll discover when you understand sincerity is more important than the what, that the how is more important than the what, that you'll see that playing with your kids is a form of prayer. You'll see that helping someone in the street is a form of prayer. You'll see that standing up sometimes for an hour and a half has nothing to do with prayer. It's not in the what, it's in the how. Just like it is in any relationship. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. All that God cares about. The right prayer is the sincere prayer. The wrong prayer is the insincere prayer. Our goal in this series, look at different forms of prayer. And every week, like I said, we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk about each room in the house. And every form of prayer is going to correlate to a room in the house that we're going to build. And we're going to build. And we're going to build. And the goal is to get to the top level. As we start the journey, I always feel like the appropriate thing is to know our end goal. So let's take a sneak peek. Let's take the elevator up to the top floor and kind of look through the window and see what it looks like on the top floor. Y'all want to do that? We're going to take a vision of the top floor. And we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah the prophet got to go upstairs and he got to go up to the you know the the floor in the apartment building that you can't get to without the key card you know that floor the top floor not, like Isaiah got to go up there we're going to sneak up there we're going to peek through the window and we're going to go shoot back down we're going to build our way we're going to get up there eventually this is what he discovered Isaiah 6 chapter 1 Isaiah 6 chapter 6 verse 1 in that year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. And with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What does this look like? Why did I say this looks like the top floor? What does this look like? Liturgical prayer. Doesn't this look like when we gather around the altar of the Lord? It says that there is an altar. And it says that there is smoke. And it says that there are singing of holy, holy, holy. And then you'll see even more, um, some more symbolism later. It says, the doors of the post, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. He's repenting. He's saying, I I'm not worthy to be standing up here. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. 
Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. What is this a picture of? Took something from the altar. The angel took something from the altar. Put it on our mouth. Said your sin is purged. What's that? It's communion. Because every time we come to church on Sunday, there's an angel who stands up at the altar. Dressed in white. An angel stands up at the altar. And you approach and he puts something on your mouth. And he says that this is given for remission of sins and eternal life to those who shall partake of him. And you say, amen, 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 I believe. And we say it all together, and our sin is purged at that moment in time. It's a picture of the top floor. It's a picture of the intimacy that we want to get to. Now, here's, here's, here's what I, I read this, and I tell you, Isaiah was up here. And Isaiah saw this, and he had this, like, real vivid experience in prayer. Like, he really saw the Lord of hosts, and the Lord touched his mouth with the, the coal from the altar, and he had, like, right there in front of him. So I say, okay, let's do this. Let's do this kind of prayer. Let's skip the other rooms, and let's just go to this room. Like, who wants to do this kind of prayer? Let's do this tomorrow. Let's do this. I got 15 minutes, God, okay, before work. I want to do this. What's God going to say to me? It doesn't work that way. Like, you think that Isaiah, let me ask you this question. Was Isaiah the only one who desired sincerely to reach this state of prayer? Was he the only one who desired it? If you understand the history and the context of where Isaiah was, remember, let's see that first verse. When Isaiah has his vision, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. The year that King Uzziah died, when the king is dead from the people of Israel, that means that the nation is in turmoil, has no king. It's susceptible to armies and bad guys attacking. It's also susceptible spiritually because there is no one who's setting the tone. And they say during the time of Isaiah that God was absolutely silent. And all the prophets were crying, crying to God. Please, God, give us a vision. Please, God, give us a word. And the voice of God was silent. It wasn't that Isaiah had a chance at something that the other guys didn't have. The difference between Isaiah and the other prophets who cried and got nothing was Isaiah built the house right. And that's why even we see after this verse, okay, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, Here I am, send me. What this verse shows us is that Isaiah was willing to put the work into the house of prayer. That's my point. Is Isaiah didn't just show up and say, Show me a vision. Okay, no vision. Okay, God doesn't exist. Okay, look, I prayed. I said, God, if you exist, show me heaven. Okay, he didn't show me anything, so God must not exist. That's not how it works. You don't just walk in and say, okay, give me intimacy. Okay, so then you are bad. Is that how it works? You're not going to show up at the bedroom and expect that level of intimacy when you didn't put the work in all on the first floor and the second floor and the third floor and the fourth floor and the fifth floor and the sixth floor. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. Isaiah wasn't any more like, like God just wanted to give it to him and nobody else. Isaiah was willing to put in the work to get that vision. And because of that, he saw something that we all want. And we can achieve that as well. I don't want us to read this verse. This is the worst thing that you can do, and we all do this, is read this and say, man, Isaiah was a special guy. Stinks when I'm not like that. Don't say that. That's what we all do. Say, Isaiah had this vision. Oh, well. I mean, leave me down here and just playing with the, the piddly little downstairs floor. Leave me in the basement with the kids. I can never reach that, that level. Don't say that. Because Isaiah... If I ask, if Isaiah talks to all the other prophets, they would say, there's no such thing as that level of prayer. Isaiah would say, yes, there is. And who would be right? Each one of them is right. Because 
according to your belief, let it be to you. According to your faith, let it be to you. We want to put in our mind that we can get there. It's not going to be easy. We're not going to get there today. But we can get to that level of prayer, and we need to. Because that's, like I said, why we were created. A lady named Elizabeth Elliot wrote a very beautiful book on prayer, and I love what she said. Listen to this. She said, people who ski, I suppose, are people who happen to like skiing, who have time for skiing, who can afford to ski, and who are good at skiing. Recently, I found that often I treat prayer as though it were sport like skiing, something you do if you like it, something you do in your spare time, something you do if you can afford the trouble, something you do if you're good at it. But prayer isn't a sport. It's work. Prayer is no game. Prayer is the opposite of leisure. It's something to be engaged in, not indulged in. It's a job you give priority to. It's performing when you have energy left for nothing else. That's different than the picture of prayer that we oftentimes draw. Prayer, this is what, this is what messes us up in prayer. Someone comes and says, prayer is like living in heaven. Prayer is like the f- nicest thing in the world where everything is perfect. That's true at this level. But you didn't just show up at this level. There's lots of steps between there. So what happens is I show up at this level, and like I said, my feet hurt, my back hurts, I got to sneeze, I got to go to the bathroom, I'm lying down, the stomach. I'm saying, this is heaven? This is what heaven's going to be like? My feet going to hurt this much in heaven? And we say that I just, you know, I'm not built for, I'm not good at it. Prayer is for those people, the people who are good at prayer. Prayer isn't for people who are good at prayer. There's no one who's good at prayer. The desert fathers, those, those, those people who decided they wanted to leave the world and just go in the desert and pray, those people talk about prayer as if it's the worst thing imaginable, as if it's the hardest work, the lab, most labor of their life. And yes, through it, we achieve this. But building a house is different than living in the house. And when we build the house, we will enjoy the benefits of it. But the building is hard work. And that's the way prayer is going to be. And you know what? Sometimes your feet are going to hurt. And sometimes you're going to be hungry. And sometimes you're going to be very, very distracted. And everything inside you says, hey, I've been distracted for 10 minutes. I might as well just quit. And you're going to push and say, just like the skiing thing, that you're going to push and say, if I want to be good at this, and if I want to achieve this level, i got to put some effort into it. And sometimes i got to sweat. And sometimes i got to push myself a little bit to try to achieve that level of success. The thing is, is that unfortunately, what makes prayer so hard is that there's no way to measure tangibly how I'm improving in it. And we don't see, this, this is why I think also we struggle, because we like, I like to stand on the wall and measure my head. Okay, look, I got this tall. Then I measure the next day and I get this tall. And I like to see that. Prayer doesn't have that. You don't see yourself growing when you pray. You see that I just spent 10 minutes and what's the difference? Is the difference between spending 10 minutes of prayer and 15 minutes of prayer? There's no real difference. My life is the same. You don't see it, but your spirit, okay, is growing through those prayers. Assuming that, like I said, it's sincere prayer, not just, not just the time in prayer, I'm saying. When we do pray, we're growing in prayer, but we don't see it. Jesus gave a nice parable about that. In Luke chapter 18, it's called the parable of the persistent widow. And without getting into the details of the parable, it says that he spoke a parable to them that men ought always, always ought to pray and not lose heart. He spoke a parable that men ought always to pray, always ought to pray, and not lose heart. And then he went and told this parable about a lady who went to a judge, and she asked for justice. And the judge said, leave me alone. 
And she kept asking and kept asking and kept asking and kept asking. Finally, the judge said, all right, even if I don't want to give you justice, just to basically get you to leave me alone, I'll give you justice. I'll give it to you because you're persistent. I'm just going to give it to you. And then he says this. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What is Jesus saying in this parable? He's not saying, will the Son of Man find faith in the sense that, that we believe in God. The demons believe in God. He's not saying, will the Son of Man find faith that people believe that Christ is God. Like I said, the demons believe that. This parable is a parable about men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And when Jesus is saying this parable, when, he, when the Son of Man comes, will he find people who are willing to continue to pray and have faith in the process even when they don't see the result? That Jesus said to us that the source of every good thing in life is prayer. You want God to bless your life? Comes through prayer. You want God to give you grace? Comes through prayer. You want God to be in your relationships with your wife, with your kids, with your husband? You want God to bless you at work? You want God to save the world? All of those things happen through prayer. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? People who believe in prayer. That when Jesus said that prayer is the source of everything good in this world, will he find people who believe in that? Or people who knocked, didn't get an answer and say, prayer doesn't work. I knocked, I prayed, prayer doesn't work. I knocked, there must be no judge inside the room. I knocked, look, I knocked, I knocked, and there's no judge. Or he's going to find people who believe and have faith in the system that he teaches us, even if we don't see the results. Bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, is we need an extreme makeover when it comes to prayer. You need a makeover when it comes to prayer. I need a makeover when it comes to prayer. We need to build this prayer house and build it right. I'm telling you at the start of this series, there's going to be a lot of things we're going to talk about that you're not going to want to do. Back to the prodigal son. When you're sitting there and you're in this state and you know you should be there, man, there's a lot of steps between here and there. There's a lot to say, ah, too far. Too hard. I'm going to go back and apologize. Too much pride. I'm going to go back and say sorry. I'm going to go back and face my brother, an annoying guy who's going to sit there and rub it in my face. Man, I don't want to see his ugly face. Ah, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome. And when you're sitting here hanging out with the pigs, you say, that's a far journey. But when is it all worth it? When you're sitting at the table. And you say, you know what? Man, that was worth it. Because everything at my father's table, man, is worth it. When we reach that seventh floor, that seventh room, top floor, key card access only, need the fob thing to get in. When we get to that floor, man, we say it was all worth it. Because that's my home. That's where I was made to live. That's where my intimacy with God is on that room. And everything else in life is just to get to that stage. Here's how the series is going to work. Every week I'm going to talk about a different form of prayer. Every week, you're going to have two exercises that you're going to do. One is a personal individual, and the second is a group one that you will do in your life groups. This week, the challenge for you, the homework assignment, or the, I'm sorry, the do-it-yourself DIY for the week, we'll go we'll carry the theme kind of through, is on, there, on your handout, is that each one of us will identify our problems, our struggles. No matter how dumb they seem, I shared with you four very dumb ones. What is the problem? What are the like just like the prodigal son? We need to identify before we can sit there. We need to identify what is stopping me from living at the father's house. 
What is it that I struggle with in prayer? Why is it? Maybe you may say, I don't have time for prayer. That's fair. Okay? You may say, I don't know what to say. You may say, I'm bored. You may say, I don't believe that it does anything. Write it down. Like, no one's judging. Like, it's not like that. You're going to write it down, and you're going to, as you identify it, you will pray. One second prayer, you will acknowledge, say, God, I have this problem. I need help. That's it. Period. Exclamation mark. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Like, that's it. No, I don't need to pray anymore. If you want to pray more, feel, pray, feel free to pray more. But you're going to acknowledge it. You're going to say, God, I need help. That's it. For those who were here during the liturgy earlier today, that's exactly what the sinful woman did. The lady in Luke 7 came to Jesus and said, I'm a sinner. Help me. That's it. That's it. You have to acknowledge. You have to identify. You ask for help. You can go to your life groups this week. What we're going to do is we are going to collect like you'll share in your life groups, and we'll talk all about the different hindrances. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the hosts of the life groups to collect for me the list that you all talk about of the hindrances that you come up with. And I promise you, in front of God, I will pray for each and every single one of them. And I'll put that list on the altar next Sunday when we pray. Put it up on the altar, and we'll pray the liturgy, and I'll put all those hindrances in front of God. And I believe that God is going to knock down some walls through this series. I believe that God is going to do some extreme makeover. When we put God to the test, say, God, we want to pray. And we are going to pray that you help us to pray. You can't say no. You can't. We're going to put it up on the altar. You can't say no. God's going to help. We're going to do our part. We're not going to say God do his part. We're going to do our part. And we're going to put the work in. We're going to get our hard hats. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We've got our steel toe boots. We're going to build. But then we trust that God is going to get us where we need to get to. St. Augustine of Hippo said the nice quote that's up there on your screen. It says, true whole prayer is nothing but love. Once upon a time, there was a man. And that man had a daughter. And they were out in public. This is not me. Okay, this is not me. The man was out in public with his daughter in the mall or something like that. And that daughter started asking for something, crying, hissy fit, temper tantrum. And a dad doesn't know what in the world to do because he's a dad. So he's there, and he's telling her, you know, like, be quiet. Stop crying. She can't stop crying. She's flipping out. And she's screaming, ah! And she's, I want this, I want that. And she goes crazy, okay? And you, if you've been a parent... Okay, it always happens in public, okay, in the most awkward position, and it's awkward, okay. She's there, and she's flipping out. Dad doesn't know what to do. So the dad grabs her by the arm, picks her up, hugs her, and starts singing a song to her. Awful voice. Words make no sense. He's just making it up, you know. He just heard a Barney song once, so he just tried to mix Barney with Sesame Street, like whatever he just sang. Made no sense. The girl, stop crying. That's a picture of this series. We in life are like that little kid. I want this, and I want this. And we think, and God's taking us by the hand. He's going to bring us into prayer. And he brings us into prayer, even though he will give us none of the stuff that we ranted and raved about. He will give us intimacy and closeness with him and that's all we really need isn't it 
We need anything else than to be resting in the Father's arms. I think if we had that, man, I don't think any of us would be ranting and raving and temper tantrum about nothing. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our heart. Because you, like that Father, love us so much. We've given you so many reasons not to love us. But you still yearn to be close to us. Lord, we don't want to just offer you words that, that don't have any substance behind them. So, Lord, let our, let our words be short. Let them be sincere. And help us, Lord, to come into this relationship of prayer, and to build this house of prayer, and to live all our lives as much as we can, Lord, in your arms, resting in your arms, receiving nourishment from you, receiving everything that we need, Lord, because you have it all in the palm of your hands. Help us to overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Help us to be honest about it and share with one another. Help us when we get together in life groups, Lord, that those would really be powerful and that we would encourage one another and support one another. And through that fellowship, when we have that fellowship, through that, Lord, build all of us into true men and women of prayer, like King David was a man of prayer. Make us like a heart like his, Lord, that we can have that intimacy with you. Accept this prayer and all the prayers which are offered on the hearts of all of your children in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Make sure you fill out, when you fill out those life group forms, those insert, drop them off at the back there, and you guys get connected this week. Have a great week, guys. What if the armies of the Lord picked up and dusted off their swords, vowed to set the captive free?